from Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We are, if you're just joining us, in a series going through the book of Ephesians, taking a, a deeper dive. It's my conviction that for a large portion of you, the majority of your discipleship happens here on a Sunday morning. And so I believe that we need to dig into Scriptures more deeply, almost verse by verse, so that we're not left with a shallow faith. And my hope is that in doing so, you are compelled to dig into the Scriptures at home, because it's not enough, church. I love you. I love seeing you. I'm excited that you're here Gathering together is so important. The Bible says to not neglect gathering together, but it is so much more important that to deepen your faith with Christ that you spend time daily with Christ. Jesus says, what do we do? We pick up our cross daily and follow after him. And I'm convinced, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing something in, in me and in this body, preparing us for what is to come. I'm seeing around me more manifestations of God's grace, and by that, I mean God's gifts, spiritual gifts, those, those prophetic gifts happening more frequently, and I believe that is stirring something in us, and that's going to fall on us to, to be receptive to what's, what God is doing as to be prepared to what He's going to do, because here's what will happen. What we, if we don't grab a hold and we don't open ourselves up to what God is doing in this house, in this space, when we get, gather and when we are, a, are apart, we will miss it. We will miss it. What, what usually happens in a church and denominations is there's two extremes that we go to, and we don't want either or, we want both and. We either are spirit-led people, we just love to move when the spirit moves. We just, we become like bobbleheads. It's like, yeah, the Holy Spirit is here. I like that. And we neglect diving deep into the Word of God. Or we dive deep into the Word of God. We love to think and contemplate and, and dwell on and meditate on the Scriptures and learn them deeply. And we neglect the Spirit. We are hollow that way. But I believe what God calls us as Parkway Church to do is have a church, a body that is full of the Spirit. That we are people full of the Spirit. That we are moving over our our preconceived ideas for the Spirit of God to move, and we are running with it, and be people of the Scriptures, not one or the other. What tends to happen is we're neither, though. We come on Sunday, oh, yeah, I like this. This is a good preach. He's digging into Ephesians a little bit more. Oh, man, that was a powerful service. The Holy Spirit moved, or God moved. That's what they tell me. At least it was energetic. People were at the altar. But we're neither. We go about our week. And it's almost like the church in Laodicea when, when Christ said to them, you are neither hot nor cold. Well, would you be one or the other? But because you're one, not one or the other, I'm about to spit you out. And so church, hear me when I say this. Let's tune ourselves into what God is doing. Let's respond to that word that we hear, that, prof that prophetic word that through that gift of tongues. Tune into what the Spirit of God is doing in this house, in this, in this body, so that we are prepared for when God is going to move. I just heard, I was speaking with Pastor Terry um, this past week, Pastor Terry Bone. Many of you remember he was the interim pastor during, um, between Pastor Jay, who was a previous pastor here, and myself. 
and he's become somewhat of a spiritual father. He's also one of our partners, our global partners, and he was sharing some different things that he was hearing when he was gathering with different ministers and people of God about what the Lord is doing in the spirit in southwestern Ontario, and it seems that there's a pattern emerging. Don't miss it. And I believe Parkway, we will be on that train if we open ourselves up to what God is doing. So with that, Ephesians chapter 1, would you stand as I read? Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 all the way to 14. Here's the Word of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring, here it is, unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to his purpose and his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So, Father, we thank you for this word, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us now. Let us have ears to hear what you are saying in this house. Lord, I am your vessel. We are all vessels here to receive your truth and your word. We thank you that we can gather freely. We thank you that your spirit is here, moving and compelling our hearts to worship. We open ourselves to your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. You're richer than you think. You're richer than you think. That was the slogan adopted by Scotiabank in 2006. Does anybody remember that? Slogan by Scotiabank, you're richer than you think. Slogan hit some pretty hard times, though, in 2008, 2009, during the financial crisis. It said that during a movie theater showing once, there was an advertisement saying, you're richer than you think, and someone yelled out, not anymore. In 2017, they made some changes to the slogan because of the backlash. It said this, you're richer than you think, except you, Jeff. You owe us $60,000. I don't know who Jeff is, but hey. But they're not far off. They're not far off. At least for those in Christ, you are richer than you think. And that's very difficult to receive in today's society when we are constantly paraded with things we don't have. We're constantly comparing ourselves to what others have, regardless of where you fall on the wealth spectrum. There's always someone more than you, except for maybe like 
Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. You know, they're at the top, I guess. But there's always a comparison. It's difficult to consider how blessed we are when life circumstances are before us. Trouble with work. Maybe there's a tear in the relationship. Struggles with your teen. Maybe it's car repair after car repair or house repair after house repair. Creditors are knocking at your door. This is the blessed life. We kind of define wealth based on the things that we have, the houses that we live on, the clothes on our back, the vacations that we take, the toys that we have. But Paul paints a different picture for those in Christ. That our wealth and our riches is not based on what sits in our bank account, thank the Lord. Not on what things we have or the ease in our circumstances. You are not blessed because you have an easy life necessarily, but because of what is ours in Jesus. And that's Paul's attempt in this text. He's trying to paint a greater picture for the readers, for the Ephesians, for us, to zoom out from this space and see things from a higher viewpoint, a higher vantage point, and give glory to God for it. So here's the context. Paul, the apostle, in this letter is writing from prison in Rome. He's in prison. Keep that in mind. He's in chains as he says these things. And he's writing to a young church, likely six to seven years old, in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very culturally diverse city, had a booming economy. It was urban. Pagan worship was the heart of the city. Imperial worship was prevalent. The city was hyper-spiritual, was full of immorality. To be a follower of Jesus then was absolutely countercultural. You were going against the grain of the fabric of society. Everyone's worshiping Artemis or some idol, and you are no longer doing so. You are following this man, Christ. And because of that, you often lost work. It was difficult to buy and to trade, and because of that, you felt pressure. So Paul begins this letter by pulling back the curtain pulling back the curtain of reality and pointing the Ephesians to the cosmology of Jesus to see the story from where they are a part of, from which they are a part of. The whole first half of the letter is this bigger, wider viewpoint that he paints for them. And then the second half, he jumps into kind of this challenge to, in light of that, live for Christ. In light of that, live to the, to the calling that Christ has put on us. They are a part of, of something bigger. And we are a part of something bigger. Something bigger than ourselves and bigger than what we see and bigger than your circumstances and bigger than your bank account and bigger than your family and bigger than your workplace. You are part of something bigger than everything you face. And that's hard to wrap our heads around when life is so physical and life is so challenging unless we are developing any spirit that is in tune with the Holy Spirit. It's very difficult to consider the blessings of God in your life in the midst of circumstance unless you are in tune with the Holy Spirit. It's difficult to see the riches of God's glory on your life when what is before you is difficulty and challenge and hardship. And you say, you don't know my story and I don't know your story. You don't know what's going on and I don't know what's going on. But Paul is in prison and he's writing this. Paul gets it. Paul's in a situation that is difficult, that is hard. He's going to die. And yet he paints this picture. 
that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of Christ Jesus. So two weeks ago, we looked at verse 3, and that's the beginning of this text. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then verses 4 through 14, he maps out what those spiritual blessings are. We're going to look at a few. Chosen before the foundation of the world for holiness. Predestined for adoption. Chosen heirs with Christ. Redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now these, uh, these scriptures, 4 through 14, are, are verses that are highly debated verses in scripture within the church. Depending on your theological viewpoint or background, these verses will mean different things when you hear them. Some of them leave us often with more questions than answers. Now, there's two camps um, in this, and it all surrounds that word predestination. Pre meaning bore, before destination meaning the arrival place. So on the one side, I'm going to get a little theological for you really quick. Don't worry, just bear with me. If you're not a studious kind of person, just just hang in. On the one side, we have Calvinism. On the other side, we have Arminianism. One defines predestination one way, the other defines predestination another way, and there's everything in between. On the one end, God chooses, chooses some for salvation and doesn't choose others. Only those that God chooses will be saved and not those that he doesn't. On the other end, God enables all people and every person has a choice. On the one end, if you're chosen, God's grace is effectual and there's nothing on your part. On the other end, God extends grace and you respond by choosing or rejecting. Now, depending on your theological background, you'll land either side. And even as I say that, you're probably like, well, that, yeah, mm, or mm-mm, or mm-hmm, uh-uh. Both tribes, camps, whatever you want to call them, point to their position scripturally. What we tend to do is not actually dive into the scriptures to know what they're pointing to. We just go based on what we like to hear. That one sounds nicer. That one sounds better. Now, as a church, we would be more aligned with Arminianism than Calvinism. That God in his sovereignty and in his might enables people and all people have a choice to receive or reject. And that's important to know, Parkway, because we'll read these texts differently depending on that basis. So with that, let's pull back the curtain. First blessing, Paul says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan and he had you in mind. He chose us. Now if I leave it there, I can miss what Paul is really saying and I can think that he's talking about salvation. Paul chose me. I, I'm one of the chosen, the elect. I'm saved. God chose individuals to be saved before the foundations of the world. And that sounds really good, but it leaves some things un, unturned. God did have us in mind before the foundation of the world was made. But who is Paul saying God chose here and for what purpose? And this is important. He says, for he chose us in him, those in him, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Predestination isn't about God causing some to believe and not others, but what God had planned for those in him. Suppose there are two basketball coaches. 
The first coach will select players and he'll compel them to join his team. The other coach will invite players to join. Both state that the players on their team will go through rigorous training and conditioning to play top-level basketball. Both coaches have decided before the season begins the end goal and destination for their team members. They will be conditioned to be top athletes. They have predestined, predetermined the destination of their teams will be to be conformed to the image of well-trained basketball players. One compels players and the players have no say. They join because they're compelled. The other invites and players respond or reject. The latter more accurately, accurately represents Paul in Ephesians here, this text. I'm speaking to this text. There's other ones if you have questions that we can maybe do a sermon on later. This passage is about, isn't about God's sovereign choice over what ind who individuals will be in Christ and which won't, but God's sovereign choice over what will become of those who are in Christ through faith. It's not about what will happen. Sorry, it's, it's, not, it's not about salvation. It's about what will happen to those who join the team. So the question is, how do you join the team? He says it in verse 13. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message. First step is to hear the gospel of your salvation and then he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He does not say when you were compelled. When you believed, when you believed, when you responded, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. God's purpose before the foundation of the world was laid down that those in him who would believe in him would be holy and blameless. That is the purpose the destination of those in him is set before him. Paul is saying to us and the Ephesians as he pulls back the curtain that those in Christ have chosen to be holy. Holy. Not chosen to be dirty. Not chosen to be unclean. Not chosen to be filthy. Not chosen to be broken and remain broken. Not chosen to remain addicted. Not chosen to be hung up on all of your stinking habits. He has chose those in him to be holy because that is who he is. That is who he is, pure, clean, whole. God purposed those in him to be holy just as he is holy. Now, if you're like me, you don't necessarily consider yourself holy. You see the holes. But there is a longing, I think, in every single person have that wholeness, to be pure. Why is it that we look at young children and we, we marvel in their innocence? Because there's something inside of us that craves that. I bet many of you have had experiences in your life that you wish you could go back to, even if when you were a child and erase them. You long for purity. But we think, how in the world could I, based on all this, be that? And that's the blessing here. The Lord's desire for those in him is to be as he is. His end goal is to transform you more and more into the likeness of his son. That is what he has predetermined will happen to those who are in him. Praise be to God that you and me 
the ones who are full of blame and brokenness and sin and wrongdoing, God looks at and says, I've chosen you to be transformed into the likeness of my son to be holy and blameless. Jesus calls us to come as we are. The ground at, at the foot of the cross is level. Sometimes we judge those at the foot of the cross, right? Someone enters the church, maybe they don't look like us, talk like us, dress like us. And we think, well, should they be here like that? They did this. But Jesus begs all, come, come, come as you are. There's no need to change before you meet him. And then in his presence, his end goal is not for you to remain there, but to transform you. Not to be like Pastor Colin, not to be like Pastor Zoe, not to be like the board of directors, not to be like those really holy in the church. His end goal is not to, I want you to be like them. His end goal is, I want you to be like me, like my son. So don't miss the fact that God wants to change you. The message of the world says you don't have to change. You were born that way. Stay that way. That's good. That's awesome. The message of the scripture is, is deny yourself, follow me, and be like me. Be holy as I am holy, he says. Now, the obvious implication of that is God's people must walk towards that end goal. Right? The Bible says to throw off those sins that so easily entangle us. Right? Paul talks about clothing ourselves in righteousness, to work out our salvation. Because God's destiny is holiness. That's your destination. Blessing number two. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. There's that word again, predestined. There was a destiny set beforehand. And what are we predestined for? Adoption. We are chosen to be adopted. We have a destiny in Christ, and part of that is becoming a son or daughter of Jesus in the Roman world, a wealthy man would often have an heir that he would leave his wealth and fortune to. If there was no son, there was no heir, he would select a servant and adopt him as an heir. It's quite literally a rags-to-riches story overnight. You were once a servant slave of Mr. Rich, and now you are a son of Mr. Rich. You are an heir. That's what God has done in Christ to us. Our Father has a son. He does not need an heir, yet in his grace, the Father brings others into the deal. In Jesus, he brings us, adopts us as his own, and makes us heirs with Christ to his glory. What that means, church, is being in Christ isn't just about justification. It's not just a righting of wrongs. It's not just being cleansed. It's not just the debt has been paid. It's not just that Jesus took your sin upon the cross and you are now wiped free of all the charges. That's a huge part of it. That's a fundamental gospel purpose. But it's deeper and it's more. Adoption is a family idea. In adoption, God takes you and makes you part of his family. He loves and cares for you as a child. You, as someone in Christ, can claim you are a child of God. No one else can do that. There's this deception that's kind of woven sometimes into Christianity or woven into our speech where we say, well, all creation are sons and daughters of God. That is not true. In a sense, yes, we were all created by God. 
We are his creation. But we have rebelled. We have walked away. Like the prodigal son, we have left the family. But because of Christ, he has adopted us. He is the, the father waiting for the prodigal son to return. And when you return, regardless of what you've done, he gets the fat calf. He kills it. He throws a party, puts a big robe on you, nice big ring on your finger. I'm still waiting for mine. And he welcomes you into the family. You are a, you are a son and a daughter. When someone adopts a kid, think about it. That child becomes a complete part of that family. As if they were always a part of the family. They get all the blessings. They get all the privileges of the family. It's not like those that are blood that came from mama's womb get it, and then you get, you get some. No, you get complete. You take on the parent's last name. They get written into the will. They, they get the same love and affection. Intimacy and relationship is built. They're part of the family as if they were always part of the family, and that is God's heart in adoption. The, the, the slate is wiped so clean that it, it is as if you were always there. And so when he looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees a saint. And he welcomes you as son and daughter, as a father does to a child. In adoption, we enter into the relationship at the very center of the universe. Before the world was made, there was a relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God decided beforehand those in Christ would become part of that. J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, to be right with God the judge is great. To be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. So for those of you who feel alone, feel abandoned, disenfranchised, maybe estranged, pull back the curtain. Pull back the curtain. If you are in Christ, see in Christ you are part of the heavenly family. He didn't just save you from your sin, but he gave you a seat at the family table. That's a blessing in the heavenly space. Blessing number three. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption in the ancient world meant to loose. It meant that chains were, were released. It was used for all kinds of loosening, loosening of clothing, loosening of tied animals, it was especially used for the loosening of human beings from captivity, slaves, prisoners, political hostages, debt, oppressive gov governments. It was used for the loosening of people from some sort of payment. Uh, when I take my dog for a walk, as we get to the end of our walk, we come to the end of our street, and it's a cul-de-sac, and I stop, and I unhook the leash. And she pauses and looks at me like, is this really it? And I just say, go, and she bolts as fast as she can all the way home, all the way down to the end of the street, and then looks back like, as if she's never been off a leash before, and every single time, it's like, really, this is happening? And that's what it means to be redeemed, to be loosened from the leash, set free. Paul is pointing to the human condition apart from the grace of God. Apart from God's grace, we are chained. He's trying to get the reader for us to see that our bondage is much deeper and much worse than just being captives to dictators and corruption and injustice. Here he is in prison. We are held captive by something much stronger, more powerful forces, sin, evil, darkness, death. We need redemption from these chains. And unless the chain has been loosened, 
we cannot run freely into adoption and into holiness. But in Christ, we have been redeemed. Not will be. Have been. Not it's coming. It's here and now. We've been set free from these deeper evils. So pull back the curtain. Dictators may still speak lies. Corruption will still exist around you. Evil people may still devise evil plans. And although we're subject to all of that in one way or another, Paul says, you've been redeemed, though, from something deeper, from something greater. And that's why from his position, from his vantage point, in jail, he can say that. But Paul, you're, you're in prison, dude. Like, you're like quite literally captive. Like you're, it's on you. You can't come to where I am. You have to send a letter with a dude to, to tell me stuff. He's like, no, 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 you got it wrong. I'm set free from some deeper chain that holds me more captive than this one. This is temporal. This will end. But I've been redeemed from that one, from sin, and it's hold. He's got true perspective. The other phrase he uses here is forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is not just another word for redeemed, although we often use it interchangeably. Redemption is the loosening of chains. Forgiveness heals and mends the relationship. Someone can say you free from jail but have no desire for a relationship. Forgiveness is about establishing relationship. In Christ, we are forgiven. And throughout the Bible, the, the authors tend to use three terms for what we've been forgiven from, sin, trespasses, and iniquity. And they are the same thing, but each helps broaden our perspective of what this forgiveness from sins means. To sin quite literally means to miss the mark. You could picture an archer, me, doing archery, looking at the target. I would look the part. I'm really good at looking the part. I will pull it back, you know. Maybe I'm not good at looking the part. And I will aim directly at that target and miss by a long shot. That is sin. It's quite literally to miss the mark of God's standard. To trespass is to cross the line. Think of no trespassing. You know you shouldn't enter, you think about it, but then you do it anyway. Iniquity is the thing in us that makes us miss the mark and cross the line. It's the corruption in the heart, the perversion of the soul that makes us want to do it. But the blessing of Jesus is that he redeems and forgives us from sin, from trespasses, and from iniquity. By his sacrifice, he erases it all and wipes the slate clean. This is true redemption. We may suffer the consequences of crossing the line, but God, God does not spare us from the sting of our disobedience. It's part of his discipline, but in Christ he takes the punishment, and through his forgiveness he restores the relationship. Quite literally saying, I got you. I got you covered. You're good. You know, I feel like the Lord is going to lead me into the throne room one day, and I'm like, I'm not worthy. He's like, I got you. I, I did all this. It's okay. I've covered that. But do you remember that? Yep. Took care of it. But what about this one? Nobody knew about that one. I did. I got it. It's done. Come with me. We're going to see the Father. What? Me? I can come? Yeah. Because I did it for you. I paved the way. But I'm not worthy. You're not. I am. But I get that too? Yeah. With me. It's part of the deal. You've been adopted. Adoptive? But I, yeah, they signed, I signed the paper. Paperwork's all done. 
Are you sure? I get to be me? Yes, you. And who else? All those part of the church. Why are we whispering? I don't know. <laughs> Blessing number four. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believed, you received. When we hear the gospel and believe, there's the response, right? When we hear the gospel and believe, we're responding to the gospel, we are sealed with a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. The word here is a business term. I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but Paul uses this word called Erebon, Erebon, which refers to a pledge or a down payment or first installment. Think of when you sign mortgage papers. The deal is sealed and a deposit is made to secure the deal. Not the full amount, but a deposit is made. And this binds both parties to the agreement, both the buyer and the seller. When the buyer puts down an Erebon but fails to uphold the agreement, they lose the down payment. When a seller puts down an Erebon but fails to deliver the full amount, he or she is obligated to pay a double portion of the first installment. So what does this mean for us? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We are the buyer. God is the seller. First of all, in Christ, we have a deposit of the Holy Spirit, a deposit. Not the whole amount, but a deposit but we are called to be filled with the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God. You believe you have the Spirit of God in you, but there is a greater depth to the Holy Spirit in you, which we are called to. And that's when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, in that continual present tense, be filled, be continually filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. You believed, you received, but we need full, reoccurring empowerment. Secondly, is if we, the buyer, don't hold to our part of the agreement, work out our salvation, devoting ourselves to following the way of Christ, the deposit's taken away. When the Israelites rebelled against God, the Spirit left the temple. Christ Jesus called the disciples to remain in him as branches remained to the vine. Otherwise, they're cast into the fire and burned. But, and this is number three, the Lord has promised, promised to deliver the full measure of the Spirit because you have a deposit. And if he fails, which he doesn't because his nature is true, he promises a double portion. He's like, hey, listen, I got this covered so much so that even if I don't, which I will because that's who I am, I do not lie or deceive. I do not change. I'll give you more. God will fill his people. That's what I hear in that text. God will fill his people. You believed, you received all this, you have a deposit of the Holy Spirit, and I will fill you. Now this sealing is the mark of God, and God stirred me a little bit as I was reading and preparing this. This points to what John speaks of in the book of Revelation when he discusses the mark of the beast. The enemy always does what is counterfeit to God. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We put too much focus in the church on this mark of the beast and not this mark of God. 
The devil can't create. He can only recreate. The mark of the beast, I believe, isn't some end times doomsday one-off mark that's coming one day. I think it's come a lot of days. It's apocalyptic literature. Therefore, it's apocalyptic metaphor. Marking in the ancient world always signified ownership and allegiance. In the ancient Rome, slaves were marked on their forehead with a tattoo that identified them as slaves. It often said, tax paid or I'm running away. Grab me. Something of that nature. I'm a slave. In the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, imperial worship was prevalent. It meant that you had to go to the, the temple of Caesar and worship Caesar with incense, and then you would receive a certificate. That's what the people had to do in 95 AD. They would receive a certificate, and that meant that they could go about business. They could buy and sell because they had done their duty to Rome. They had worshipped Caesar. It was a type of mark, a type of allegiance. To not do so made things challenging. Depending on who you would trade with, if they're not seeing that certificate, maybe they wouldn't trade with you. The Ephesians knew this because that was their world. Since following Jesus meant you didn't worship Caesar and you didn't worship Artemis at the temple, it meant that you didn't make idols, it meant that you didn't sell idols, it meant that you didn't bow down to idols, which meant that buying and selling was challenging for you because you were quite literally going against the grain of the economy. It's a type of mark. In the church age, which we are part of, following the ways of the world is to bear the mark of the beast. But following the spirit of Jesus, responding to the gospel with belief means to bear the mark of God. So if you're worried, church, about maybe getting the mark and not being able to buy and sell, follow the Holy Spirit and you will be marked with God. Which means that in this world, you may have trouble. There may come a day in our culture and society where that means things like buying and selling is more difficult for those who follow Jesus as our culture moves further and further away from the moral set in Scripture. It means that things might not be as comfortable for us. And unfortunately, in the West, we've been pampered a little bit for maybe the past century. But in Eastern cultures, you already see that. In a lot of nations in the world, you see, a lot of Christians face this kind of thing. They face the beast. They face the spirit of the Antichrist. And they know what it means to follow the spirit. They know what it means to chase after God. They know what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit regardless of what may come in this life. And so like Paul the Apostle who's in prison, they can still praise God even though they're hiding, even though their hands are cut off, even though their children are taken from them, even though their family members are beheaded. They can still praise God because they have been marked with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing their inheritance 
so that this temporal thing, when it washes away and is no more, is little in comparison to the heavenly blessings that they've received in Christ. So pull back the curtain. Pull back the curtain. Stop looking with these physical eyes at your physical circumstances. And I understand that it's very difficult because we are physical beings, but we are also spiritual beings called to live by the Spirit, called to live by faith and not by sight. Pull back the curtain on your circumstances. Yes, this is not great. But what is greater still is I have been chosen to be holy. I've messed up, but God's grace is bigger than that. He has redeemed me. He has forgiven me. He has set me free. Pull this out. It's getting in the way. It's stuck. I'm predestined to holiness. I'm predestined to adoption. I'm, I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I've been secured by the Holy Spirit. You are richer than you think. Stop looking at your bank account. Stop looking at your neighbors. Stop looking at your friends. Stop scrolling social media. Burn it if you have to. If that means you have to get rid of it, delete the app. But I like it. I gotta be social. I gotta connect with my world. Not at the expense of the comparison trap. But I wanna be, I wanna fit in. Stop! You're not supposed to fit in. Do not conform to the pattern of the world the Bible says. My Bible reads that. What Bible do you read? I don't read the one. I don't I can't find the text that says conform and fit in. So everyone will like you. I have a Bible that says do not conform to the patterns of this world. Somebody's buying the next thing. Don't buy the next thing. Why? Because it doesn't matter. What matters is their salvation. Do you care more about the fact that they may burn in hell? Does that matter to you? It should matter to us. Why? Because we've been redeemed. And God desires all to be saved. Therefore, as children, we should get more in part of the family. I've been adopted. I listen, I'm not I'm not Jesus. I wasn't always a part of the family. But he chose me. So I should do everything in my power to help others see that and believe that. Do not conform. Pull back the curtain, see the greater picture. The greater picture. Praise be to God, Paul says. Praise be to God who has blessed us in Christ Jesus in the heavenly spaces with every spiritual blessing. Not just some. Redeemed. Chosen for adoption, redemption, the forgiveness of sins, secured by the Holy Spirit. You are richer than you think. And all this, Paul says three times in this text, is for the praise of his glory. Why? Because he wants to bring his name glory through his son and through you. God has done all of this to produce in us praise that brings his name glory. Can somebody agree with that? Can somebody agree with that? Raise your hand if you are in Christ. That's you. 
So the response should be praise. The response should be praise. The response should be thank the Lord that I'm not destined to what my flesh has destined me for. The wages of sin is death, but that's not for me because I've been chosen before the foundations of this world to be holy and blameless. When I stand before God, I'm blameless. Praise be to God. Let's stand. Holy Spirit, come. We're going to we're gonna praise God in just a moment. I just want us to sit here for a moment. Can you just in your heart begin to thank God? If you were in Christ, just begin to praise him and thank him for what he's done for you, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you see, regardless of what is before you, you are a child of God. You have been loosened from the chains. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For Jesus and every blessing we have received. And may we see that we are richer than we think. And may that stir in us, God, praise to your name. Lord, may we be people who live up to the calling. May we live, Lord, according to the calling which we are called to be your people in this culture. For we have the Holy Spirit in us. We've been marked by you. And let that stir us, God, to worship you and praise you and honor you, not only in this house, but every day. For you are worthy in Jesus' name. You are worthy in Jesus' name. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly spaces in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Then let's praise God. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.